It is 7 p.m. and I see all the counselors are present and our city manager is present and our city attorney. And we will be having, um, let's see, Ashley um, and the city clerk's office will be doing the recording tonight along with Kelly. So I think we're ready to go. Welcome to the November 2nd City Council formal meeting and hoping that everyone had a safe um, uh, weekend. I know that some celebrated Halloween and others celebrated um, All Saints Day. So hope everyone was very uh, safe and had some great activities there. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, we'll start the meeting with roll call, please. Burgess. Here. Mims. Here. Sully. Here. Taylor. Here. Teague. Here. Thomas. Here. Weiner. Here. All right. So that is Ashley. That's the voice we hear. So welcome again to everybody. We're going to move on to the next agenda item, uh, which is agenda item 2A and it is Injury Prevention Day. So whereas injuries are the leading cause of death and disability to US children, one to 18 years old, and whereas unintentional injuries are the leading cause of death for children in the state, and whereas while the number of injuries and deaths vary across the state, every city in Iowa is impacted by these events. And whereas many of these injuries and deaths are preventable, with the use of injury prevention education, equipment, and the implementation of strong legislation. And whereas hospitals, state agencies, city government, community organizations, and other partners are crucial in promoting safe practices. And whereas the city of Iowa City is committed to promoting efforts and reducing injuries among children. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Teague, mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim November 18, 2020, to be Injury Prevention Day in Iowa City and urge all residents to partake in activities that help educate and promote the importance of pediatric injury prevention. And here to accept this proclamation is Pamela Overworth. And we welcome you now. Thanks so much, Mayor Teague. Um, and thanks to the rest of the city council for supporting this proclamation. Uh, it's an endeavor, a, a a, actually a national endeavor for an inaugural event to raise awareness um, that pediatric unintentional injuries, many of them can be prevented um, and just by choosing safer behaviors. So uh, leading children's hospitals around the country have uh, decided on November 18th is the day that we're going to join forces and promote that. I also want to thank Kelly for helping us find some landmarks in Iowa City to light up green. Green is our chosen color um, for that day. And again, uh, I want to thank the, the City Council and Mayor Teague and the rest of the community on uh, supporting uh, this important message. Great. Thank you again, Pamela. This is a very important um, prevention effort. So thanks for all that you're doing. All right, could I get a motion for the, we're moving on to items three through eight, 
Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar as amended with item 7B and 7C, the word being um, resolution is being substituted to set the public hearing not by motion. Could I get a um, an approval please or move? So move, Taylor. Again, All right. Would anyone from the public like to discuss this item? If so, please raise your hand and I'll call upon you. And we ask that you keep your comments three to five minutes. And if you're on the phone, you can press star nine. And no one. Council discussion. Roll call, please. Fergus. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number nine. I'll remind, um, this is community comment, and this is an opportunity for people in the community to address any topic that is not on the formal agenda. And we ask that you raise your hand, or if you're on the phone, press star nine. And I'll call upon you, and we ask that you keep those comments three to five minutes, please. All right, the first person is David. Welcome, David. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'll be quick today. Um, just wanted to quickly address uh, the traffic proposals that were brought up during the work session. Um, you know, as we're addressing these questions and problems uh, within the police department, I think we can appreciate that it's not always the most fruitful thing to go to the police for those answers. Um, so it's kind of similar to what was happening uh, the other, uh, the last meeting with the co-responder model and, you know, going applying for that grant seems to be following what the police were hoping to do uh, in that question. So Captain Brotherton said something about, um, you know, for example, these proposed changes, uh, the officers would have to articulate why they made the stop. Um, and this is just sort of an example of another sort of Band-Aid reformist um, attempt to make some change because police have always had, have always made stops for racist reasons and they've, they've always been able to justify that in various ways. So, you know, things like that don't really make any meaningful change. And as long as police still have the discretion to be making these stops, then there's always going to be racism and classism present. So, you know, looking through some of the proposals that was in your packet meeting, uh, IFR does not see any systemic shift in the process. And this seems just like another sort of band-aid reform to give the appearance of progress without actually changing anything. Um, and of course, this is a systemic problem. Iowa has a very serious systemic problem with traffic stops. I remember even being in all the way back in high school, um, hearing about disproportionate minority contact, things like that. Um, so we share uh, the question that Councillor Thomas brought up, which was, um, you know, about how do we actually limit the number of stops necessary. And uh, I think we remain most interested in some of those proposals Councillor Thomas brought up that would uh, be able to rely on, on actual changes to the streets. To the, I think some of, the, some of the things he was referencing was the self-policing streets, as well as technology to do some of that for us. Thank you. Thanks, David. Would anyone else like to address Council? All right, we do see uh, Trepane. Welcome. Oh, great too. First, I'd like to 
uh, rise and give praise to Allah, the Creator, and uh, honest to you guys for allowing me this opportunity to uh, speak on behalf of uh, this agenda. This I'm trying to get a proclamation basically for Moorish Holy Week, and what this is is um, as I had iterated in the email is that Moorish Holy Week has to do with the people that are misnomered as Negro, Black, and colored. Um, and that right there is a denationalization, which is an international crime. So what I am trying to do is bring forth the time where we give honors to the one that had brought forth our nationality uh, um, when, it was, uh, when we got freed from slavery in 1865. Uh, Morris Holy Week runs from January 8th to January 15th. This is a commemoration of Noble Drew Ali, the one that was uh, that had got the education and had approached um, the incumbent Woodrow Wilson to uh, <laughs> for his assistance in it. And he had told him it was going to be harder to uh, it was going to be easier to put pants on a mule than to educate your people that they are not Negro, Black, or colored. Um, so the 15th, January 8th is Noble Drew Ali's birth, uh, birthright. And January 15th is the Moorish New Year. Um, but what I was asking the city council to do was to approve this so that we, we are able to, um, so educate those in who they truly are. Cause you can't be property of any person's government. You have to have a nationality. Every person has to have a nationality. And this is where we, uh, uh stand united and um bring forth uh uh who we truly are and we celebrate that in this during this week um i have reached i also sent some other documents in other states that where that where they had approved uh approved um the proclamation in that in that in those states and such as chicago um north carolina and there was one other that i'm unable to recall right now i don't have the information in front of me and um that's basically my uh presentation right there i know you guys got the documents i don't know if you had a chance to look at it but it, it is uh very uh, um intensive um has a lot of good information in there and it basically tells you um what i said in short with that i'm i'm done thank you would anyone else like to address council? All right, seeing none, we will move on to the next item on our agenda, which is 10 planning and zoning matters. And 10A is a zoning code amendment, commercial reuse ex exception ordinance, ordinance amending title 14 zoning code to allow a special exception from standards for the reuse of existing buildings in certain commercial zones. And I'm gonna open the public hearing and staff presentation, please. Good evening, Mayor Council, Danielle Sisman, NDS. This is the first of two uh, staff initiated zoning code amendments on your agenda tonight. This is um, for an amendment to the zoning code to allow a special exception from standards for reuse of existing buildings in certain commercial zones. Um, our current code has 
a variety of flexibility built into it for just such uh, waivers and exceptions to be granted uh, as tools within our zoning code to provide, as I said, flexibility to adjust standards when unique or non-standard situations occur. Each one has a different level of flexibility and a corresponding increase in the level of scrutiny that's given to it. This slide outlines the three basic uh, mechanisms we have in our zoning code, including regulations having to do with non-conforming situations which are either uses, structures, developments, or lots that by changes in the zoning code over time have become non-compliant. It's kind of the lowest level, most hands-off approach in our zoning code, basically allowing such non-conforming situations to continue as they are, regardless of how the code changes. The next level is an administrative or staff review level either through a minor modification or a minor adjustment. Uh, minor adjustments are unique to the Riverfront Crossings District, but minor modifications are sprinkled throughout our code for slight changes to zoning code standards. As I said, they're hand handled administratively. We do include a public, um, uh, not, not public hearing, an administrative hearing, excuse me, with notices to surrounding neighbors, um, but not a hearing before a board of commissions, something with a staff member. And then the third level of scrutiny and the additional flexibility is granted through a special exception, which is heard by a bo the Board of Adjustment. Um, that does come with it um, an additional notification and uh, specific criteria in the code to be uh, scrutinized with each request. Again, those are to ensure that larger changes to the zoning code have a more formal uh, review process. Um, in brief tonight, the proposed amendment would expand upon these existing mechanisms of the special exception process that are already included in the zoning code for certain commercial uses in a set number of zoning districts. And the purpose of the amendment is to provide additional flexibility from zoning regulations for altering or expanding a building. An existing building is difficult due to the building and or site having certain constraints. And in such cases, where staff is proposing that the board adjustment would be able to waive or modify certain additional zoning standards by the special exception process. Um, over the past years, urban planning staff has noticed that several developments that they've had meetings with um, potential interested parties having um, conflicts with the zoning code that were difficult to resolve through an existing toolkit. Um, the specific ordinance tonight would most you know, directly benefit a property at 1120 North Dodge Street is just simply the most recent example of these constraints that staff has become aware of over the years and has therefore addressed this uh, through this proposed code change. As I said, the focus on the amendment is to flexibility in a certain set of um, lower intensity commercial zones shown here in this table. The more intensive commercial uses are not being addressed um, simply because the intent of this code is to address the neighborhood commercial um, and various for small scale commercial areas on smaller sites. And it, it, proximity to those neighborhood areas. Um, again, this would uh, apply to existing buildings, not encouraging tear down of existing structures or to apply to vacant lots. Also, it was designed not to encourage tear downs or impact historic structures. And there are existing flexible abilities involved with historic structures that are already part of our code. As I said, the list of potential exceptions uh, were drafted in this code. It's a fairly expansive list. However, it focuses mostly on dimensional standards and site improvements. There's a wide variety of places in our code where those can be constraints on small scale um, development. This proposal would not alter the basic uses um, allowed in each um, circumstance. 
Never run with the property, not the owner of the specific business. As I said, some that was the list of things, a fairly expansive list of things that was that were eligible. There are some things that are simply just not on the table um, because of the nature of their importance to maintain. Some of those having to do with minimum separation distances, sensitive lands and features such as steep slopes, slopes and wooded areas, wetlands, and then also our floodplain management standards. In regards to this proposal, um, as I said, it would be a special exception before the Board of Adjustment. Um, every Board of Adjustment special exception case has a set of seven general criteria that they must uh, show the applicant must show that they meet. In addition, this particular exception has crafted five additional standards on, in, in addition to the general approval criteria. And those standards were tailored for the um, specifics of ensuring compatibility with the um, exceptions that are being granted with the character of the neighborhood in which the exception would take place. Um, as part of staff's analysis, we did look at all the areas where this code change would be applicable. So this is a map showing all of the eligible um, zoning code districts throughout the city, as well as where there is an existing building on such zoning uh, property. Um, as you can see, they're throughout the community citywide. Um, we do acknowledge that some of these areas are probably not small-scale neighborhood, but because of the need to apply these zoning districts, some of them fall into this map. Um, staff believes that essentially those five additional criteria to sort of weed out um, applications from truly inappropriate requests. And as again, as I said, that goes to the Board of Adjustment for their review and consideration. Um, when drafting code changes, staff does take, of course, the goals and aspirations of the comp plan and the council strategic plan into account in creating those as we um, review all um, zoning code changes to the criteria of both of those. Um, I will just say that this is a document by ordinance by three readings. It's simply coming to you after having been through the planning um, zoning commission. And based on a review of the relevant criteria and potential impact, staff drafted and recommended the proposed uh, zoning code be amended to illustrate um, the, um, the standards uh, reflected in the staff report and to empower new small neighborhood commercial nodes by allowing the Board of Adjustment to provide additional flexibility from zoning code regulations where That concludes staff report and I have to answer questions. Thank you. Any questions for staff? Hearing none. Would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand. And I'll call upon you. And if you're on the phone, press star nine. Seeing no one, I'm gonna close the public hearing. And can I get a motion to give uh, first consideration? So move, Saleh. Second, Taylor. All right, so before we continue with this, since um, this did go through planning and zoning, I want to just make sure our counselors um, likely to vote in favor of planning and zoning recommendation. I'm seeing not enough heads. All right, so council discussion. Uh, this is a good idea. Um, you know, it's often found in cities that we really 
you know, the parts of cities that we really like, we discover um, existing places that we really love. Uh, if we try to replicate them, we find that our zoning doesn't allow us to. So this is, this is I think, an example. Staff has noted that, that uh, proposals will come forward and uh, our zoning just, in effect, prohibits the development of these sites. So, um, you know, I think that's a good idea. I think the um, applicability standards will, and I would, would hope and, and feel fairly confident will avoid any kind of negative consequences, unforeseen negative consequences. So this is a good step forward in trying to revitalize some of these commercial areas. Yeah, I think it's a, a great opportunity to be more creative when you were thinking about existing buildings. So thanks to the staff bringing this to uh, the forefront for uh, some changes to be made. Hearing no other comments, roll call, please. Mims. Mims. Yes, had to get to my mute button, sorry. <laughs> okay. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Motion passed to seven to zero. Item 10B, zoning code amendment, parking reduction and commercial zone ordinance. Ordinance amending title 14 zoning code to allow parking reductions through the minor modification process in certain commercial zones. I'm gonna open the public meeting and staff presentation and actually open the public hearing. I wanna just clarify that. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, this is the second two ordinances on your agenda tonight generated by staff for consideration. Um, this is to address constraints again on small scale vacant commercial sites, certain neighborhoods. Um, this particular application, this particular proposal is to reduce parking uh, requirements up to 50% of the required number of spaces through the minor modification process. As I walked through in the last presentation, the minor modification process is a staff administrative review, still including an administrative hearing, but um, not as rigorous in its evaluation of criteria as the uh, special exception process, and not allowing for as great a reduction in the criteria or as broad a number of reductions in the criteria as the previous proposal. Again, this is limited to a certain number of uh, types of zoning districts. And again, it's based on staff's awareness that parking is often a barrier to redevelopment of infill commercial uh, vacant properties. Again, our code is rife with flexibility, sometimes making it difficult for folks to um, navigate, but really trying to uh, ensure that there's lots of different ways to accomplish good developments and allowing for different mechanisms for doing that. Everything from key and route instead of parking to reductions for different characteristics of um, development including historic, um, historic protections for properties. Again, staff identified a gap in all of this flexibility and the tool set that we currently had and is proposing that we're does tonight to meet a certain, fill a certain gap in that toolkit. Often um, these parking reductions do not apply to multifamily uses in mixed use developments. So tonight that's what this um, particular ordinance is hoping to accomplish. Um, it, the proposed um, uh, code change would actually re replace an existing but unused option that's currently in our code for neighborhood commercial zones, which will, based on setting aside land, 
uh, for future development of parking in the land bank rather than developing it immediately. Staff recognized there's no real use of that um, flexibility, so we're proposing to re replace that with something else. Again, this proposed code change would be for new construction, redevelopment, or alteration in a set of defined use of zoning districts, um, both for commercial and residential. Again, up to half of the required parking to be waived uh, instead of that land banking and through the minor modification process. Um, to ensure that this is tailored towards the types of circumstances that staff has identified needing to have additional aid, um, we've uh, crafted into the ordinance limits on the square foot of the footprint of the building, also requiring a parking demand analysis to uh, accompany that request to ensure that uh, full consideration is being given to the actual need for parking on a case-by-case basis, and then making sure this is not competing with other historic, potentially historic properties. Um, city analysis, um, as I said, it was based on known locations where we have identified difficulties in the past, looking at uh, zoning districts citywide and where this uh, potential code change would apply. Um, some commercial areas, again, may be eligible but not entirely meet the purpose of the code. Again, the uh, minor modification process does include some eligibility and, and consideration. So there's a way to weed out, as I said, not completely appropriate applications, while still allowing those very appropriate ones with supporting documentation to proceed. As I said, again, staff looks at the comprehensive plan as strategic uh, goals of the city council as a basis for crafting such ordinances. And this does require three readings as it, as it is by zoning code change. And then, um, based on the review of the relevant criteria and impact staff did draft, draft the attached ordinance, I failed to say it in the last um, presentation that it was reviewed by the Planning and Zoning Commission, and they do recommend approval of the proposed change. Happy to answer questions at this point if you have any. Sound like you're getting off again, Danielle, with no questions. Thank you. Would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand. And if you're on the phone, press star nine. Seeing no one, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Can I get a motion to give first consideration? So moved, Weiner. Moved by Weiner, seconded by? I'll second, Thomas. Thank you. And then I just wanted to make sure that um, our counselors um, in agreement to go on with the recommendation of the commission. Just shake your head. Okay, great. All right, council discussion. Well, again, I think this is another good, you know, move by staff to, you know, see things that aren't working well, that fit in with what our goals are for the community and to be proactive in bringing these things to us. So thank you. Roll call, please. Sully? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Burgess? Yes. Mims? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. 
Item 10C, rezoning at 109, 111, 115, 117, and 121 East College Street, local historic landmark. Ordinance rezoning approximately 0.55 acres of uh, property from central business for property located at 109, 111, 115, 117, and 121 East College Street. And I am sorry, I'm gonna reread that. So ordinance rezoning approximately 0.55 acres of property from central business zone to CB10 with a historic district overlay for a property located at 109, 111, 115, 117, and 121 East College Street. I'm gonna open the public hearing and staff presentation, please. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, this exhibit shows the location of that range of addresses. It's located on the south side of the pedestrian mall between Clinton Street and the Graduate Hotel at Dubuque Street. And this is a local landmark rezoning, so the underlying zoning of CD10 remains and so it gains an additional layer of um, historic district overlay. Um, that allows for and helps to ensure the preservation of historic resources and to require historic review for exterior modifications. Um, this does include the Dooley block, the Crescent block, and uh, the Sears Roebuck and Co. building that split up part of the Dooley block uh, over the history of this uh, part of town. The application is uh, submitted by Tailwinds College Street, Iowa City LLC, as it requested the, to voluntarily landmark these properties and to be designated as an Iowa City Historic Landmark. This does bring an additional overlay zoning district, as I said, not changing the underlying district. It also brings with it additional restrictions and additional code flexibility. The designation of the property as a historic landmark, an Iowa City historic landmark, will require commission approval, historic preservation commission approval of any significant changes to the exterior of the building. But it also makes the property eligible for special exceptions that would allow the Board of Adjustment to waive or modify certain zoning requirements as well as state and federal tax credit funding for rehabilitation work. Um, this request is part of a larger proposed development project that would create a new apartment building in the south portion of these lots while also preserving the historic storefronts. Um, as um, just a side note, the city of Iowa City is currently working towards nomination of an area of the downtown to be listed as a national historic, or on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, these sub the subject properties in this application fall within that um, proposed district, but there's really no conflict uh, tonight with this application. Um, the Planning and Zoning Commission review of this application is because this is landmarked through a zoning overlay and therefore requires them to review the um, applicable criteria of a comprehensive plan. Um, we feel that that is being met um, very much so through this process. Um, the Historic Preservation Commission also reviews these applications and makes a recommendation to the Planning Commission in the process. In May, they conducted a public hearing and reviewed and evaluated the historic significance of the properties in this address range. And the Commission determined that all of the properties meet the requirements for landmark designation and did vote to recommend approval. Um, the landmark designation process has several parts. There are some prerequisite um, standards that need to be met and then some additional um, standards that can be met. Um, this series of slides just simply show you the buildings today. All of the properties met the prerequisite requirements and uh, went above and beyond that in several categories. 
um, there was a uh, site inventory form, basically historic preservation research that went into these designations and supports that um, recommendation by the Historic Preservation Commission. So as far as this um, development, which we call the Tailwinds Project, shown here is the step that we were at with the historic landmark overlay rezoning. And there's also some additional steps which will involve city council, um, including a TIP project proposal and development agreement in the future. And um, there's also a historic preservation commission review of the exterior modifications um, that's pending this month. And then there's some administrative reviews of site plans and building permits. Um, so based on the applicable review criteria of each board, um, staff for the various boards did recommend designation. As I said, that was supported both by the Historic Preservation Commission and the Planning Zone Commission. Um, so it's coming forward to you tonight with a recommendation of approval. Happy to answer questions. All right, hearing no questions. Would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand. Seeing no one, I'm gonna close the public hearing. And now we are moving on to, um, could I get to uh, council? So could I get a motion to give first consideration? So move, Taylor. Second, Mims. All right. And I just want to know if um, counselors are uh, inclined to agree with the planning and zoning recommendations. So please shake your head. All right. Council discussion. Well, I think this is just really important to get the preservation on these buildings. Um, as you walk downtown and walk along the Ped Mall, these are absolutely critical to that whole ambiance, vision, et cetera, along that part of our downtown and just make up such a huge part of that Ped Mall. So really happy to see this happening. I am, I am as well. And I, I'd like to thank uh, staff and uh, Historic Preservation, the Planning and Zoning Commission. These. Uh, these are projects that really require a lot of work to get to this point. Uh, and so it's, you know, congratulations to everyone involved to get us here. Uh, I think this is a really interesting opportunity. It's right in our downtown core. It's four adjacent continuous properties. So we are preserving not just a building, but four buildings that, um, essentially form that section of the block. It's not the complete block, but it's a significant portion of the block. And uh, we're, we're taking advantage, I think, of an interesting opportunity that the deep lots provide so that we can preserve the historic frontage while develop with the, the backside of the property because it's deep enough to allow us to do that. So we, we preserve the past, we preserve the building frontages, the, the grain of those four buildings while moving forward with a, a pretty significant development project, which also in a sense ties in with the strategy that, that I've begun to observe on the uh, south side of the Ped Mall on College Street and that you have Plaza Towers, the Graduate Building, and now this proposed building on the backside of these properties that will 
form its own kind of architectural composition um, and complete it in a sense. So I'm, I'm really happy that we're preserving the past while um, allowing that past to have a new life. Uh, so we have that continuity in time between past and present, as well as the continuity of the building face along college. So it's, I think, a really interesting example of you know, how we can make that adaptation um, and, and preserve what we, we find valuable while still allowing for change. Hearing no other comments. Roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Celine? Yes. Item passes seven to zero. Item number 11, annual TIF certification to the county. Resolution directing the filing of TIF certification under Iowa Code section 403.19 for the 2020 end of year certification of urban renewal projects. Could I get a motion to approve? So moved, Thomas. Seconded, Burgess. All right, do we have any staff that would like to uh, talk about this? Sure, good evening, Mr. Mayor and City Council. I'll have just a couple of brief words here. This is the annual certification to the county for any changes that the city is making in its collection of tax increment financing revenues. And uh, every year we need to do this by December 1st and, and uh, we're a little bit ahead of the game this year, which is a good thing. Um, really, it's very similar to other years where we've presented, but I might um, call out just a couple of things. There are three forms that we can use to submit to the county indicating any change um, in what we want to do. A form one starts a tax increment collection, and um, you may see on the list of forms that we're turning in that Foster Road for the first time is we're going to be collecting um, TIF revenues there. And interesting, interestingly, in that project, um, if you'll remember, that's where 55% of the tax increment that comes out of that uh, uh, district will go towards the Foster Road project, while 45% of it will go towards LMI or affordable housing. And so that begins um, that project um, going forward. And, and then one other uh, form of note is the Form 3, which um, reduces the amount of uh, TIF funding that we're requesting. Form 3 on the Sycamore Mall and First Avenue TIF District is for um, reducing our request for what would have been the FY19, 20, and 21 rebates to the Iowa City Marketplace project, which had defaulted on that. So those are probably the two um, bigger pieces of note, but I would be happy to answer any other questions if you had any. Wendy, I, I, there's a lot of forms there. <laughs> and. Uh, um, one, one kind of general question I was trying to, to, if you could help me understand what, if any, impact COVID and the economic impacts of COVID have had on our uh, TIF program. 
Oh, that's a good question. I, John, I don't believe I'll, I'd have an answer to that right off the bat. Um, you know, because our TIF projects are kind of spread out over a big length of time, um, that I think that impact also is. Um, so right now, I can't say that we're seeing any direct impact from it, though things may change, economics may change going forward. I don't know, Jeff, I saw you pop on. If you have something yeah. to add. I, I, I think you're um, right, Wendy. I don't know that we've seen anything yet, but um, if you think back to our recently completed TIFs in the last five to 10 years, uh, there's a number that include office space, and you have to wonder um, uh, how much uh, demand there is for that office space going forward. So I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if we had conversations with some of those folks about the possibility of converting some of those upper floors of office to um, residential, which is very much in demand right now. Um, and then, you know, one uh, tip that we never got off the ground, but that we, we started at least through the urban renewal process is the um, forest view development. And that included a substantial number of uh, office uh, types of buildings along I-80. And again, uh, pretty, pretty reasonable to think that uh, um, everybody's gonna probably give that type of land use second thoughts going forward. Um, at least in the short term. So nothing imminent, but uh, don't be surprised if we get some requests to, to make some modifications or if ones that we expected to come through are a little different than what we originally anticipated. Any other comments for Wendy or questions? Thank you, Wendy. All right, would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand and I'll call upon you. Seeing no one, council discussion. Roll call, please. Egg. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Weiner. Yes. Burgess. Yes. Mims? Yes. Lee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 12, annual urban renewal report to the state. Resolution approving the fiscal year ending 2020 annual urban renewal area report. Can I get a motion to approve? So moved, Mims. Second, Weiner. And would staff like to address this topic? Sure. Uh, well, if that last item was a look forward to um, a request for the uh, tax increment finance dollars uh, we need going forward, then this AURR, the Annual Urban Renewal Report to the state, is really a look backward and a sort of compendium of the projects that are in process that um, uh, a snapshot to today. Um, as you notice, that was a 60-page document in there um, in your packet, but I, and we apologize for that. It's the state, not us. Um, but I think that the, the thing that 
is important to draw from that is the increase in the taxable valuation that our TIF projects have meant to our city. And so I always update a form called new value created uh, by Iowa City's TIF projects. And uh, essentially it just lists all of our urban renewal projects, uh, their dates, their beginning values and their end values, which um, the difference of which is that increment that creates that um, ability to help participate financially in those projects. And uh, in this uh, spreadsheet here, the total of the base values of all of the TIF projects we've assisted over the years has been $28 million. But those same projects' current valuations is up over $215 million now. So um, the importance of that is the city being able to assist in these projects that um, that raise the taxable value in the community and really thus end up helping with property tax relief. So just wanted to point that out to you. Thank you, Wendy, because that I think is something that people don't don't understand oftentimes because TIF is complicated. Mm -hmm. um, and over the years when I've been on council, when I have talked about TIF being um, an investment in our community, Obviously, there's a lot of the other things that we want to see out of it, but it, 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 it was almost also purely an investment in increasing our tax valuations so that we increase our tax revenues over time, if they're done right. And I think Iowa City's record shows that we have done them right for a long time. Yeah, when I first came on council, I, I totally didn't understand TIF, and of course, I got my TIF 101 and began to understand TIF a little better, but your numbers of going from 28, uh, 28 million to 215 million, um, it just says a lot about how TIF is really an investment in the community. And it, it helps with so many other programs that are important to us. A lot of those social services that we provide, these are some of the funds that we can use to really enhance uh, some of the um, operational things that we want to do within the city. So um, I'm, I was very happy to see this illustration in the packet. Thank you for your um, tireless explanations about TIF, Wendy. They, they help a lot. Would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand and I will call upon you. If you're on the phone, press star nine. Seeing no one, count discussion. Roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Salee? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 13, assessment appeal 1131 Third Avenue. Resolution adopting an assessment schedule for snow removal at 1131 Third Avenue and directing the clerk to certify the same to the Johnson County Treasurer for collection in the same manner as property taxes. Can I get a motion to approve? So moved, Mims. Second, Sally. 
All right, and do we have staff presenting on this item? I'm Stan Lopperman, City Senior Housing Inspector. I'm here if you have questions. Uh, we did submit a council action report that's laid out the, the timeline of the event, um, the Experience of Snow event, uh, roughly the 24th of January. Um, on the 3rd of February, we had an inspector that observed snow on the sidewalk at 1131 3rd Avenue. And at that point, no snow had been removed. Um, the property was posted. Uh, according to our procedure, a notice of violation was mailed to the property owner. And on February 5th, the property was cleared by our snow abatement contractor. Um, at that time, there was mainly uh, patches of ice on the on the sidewalk. And if you look at the, the pictures provided, you can see evidence of that. Uh, in the contractor photo number one, it appears that there is even a wheelchair, wheelchair checks going through that snow and ice. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. Okay, thank you. Any questions for Stan at this moment? Would anyone from the public like to address this topic? If so, please raise your hand and I'll call upon you. Welcome, Bill. Good afternoon, good evening. Good evening. So on um, um, late August, um, I sent a letter to uh, Miss Ogden, uh, which is kind of Stan um, uh, directed me to do. And it, it kind of outlines the, the three issues that um, I'm kind of contesting with this. Um, the work done and the need for the work um, and, and by the way, make it very clear that, that after the um, notice was uh, posted, the sidewalk was cleared. And as the pictures note, uh, there was just small patches of ice. Um, so um, it, it kind of shows that um, there, there, were, um, there was a response to to the notice. Um, the price of the materials and the labor for the vendor are what really concern me. And it doesn't just concern me as a landlord, it concerns me as a, as a um, taxpayer and, and as, a, as a landlord. It, it claims that they took an hour and 25 minutes at $85 an hour to, to do this spreading of a small amount of sand and salt. And um, I did a little summary of that, that um, it probably could have been done in about 15 minutes. Um, so if you, if you take the $85 an hour and you put 35% um, labor overhead with coming from my construction background and, and being in, in, in that, I, I pretty well knew that Labor, labor overhead will run around 35%, throw 10% profit on, and that would mean the worker received $46.75 an hour. Um, I'd love to see that payroll statement because I doubt that that, that that worker got paid that much. Um, and then you've got $72 for ice melt and sand. In the letter that I sent, I, I sent uh, um, Ace Hardware prices on 60 
pound tube of sand for six fifty nine, and a and a ten pound bag of ice melt for five ninety nine. Uh, that totals thirteen dollars and thirty three cents, uh, including tax. So there was and there was no surplus material left on the job site. Um, so um, he's got a profit margin there of eighty one percent. So. Then on top of, of an overbilling and, and just what I call price gouging, um, then it, it gets sent off out of, out of the city uh, to Cedar Rapids to be billed. And I get a bill for $100 uh, to process an invoice for $178, which seems completely exorbitant. And what's really bothersome is as a commercial assessed taxpayer, I pay over $5,000 a year in yearly income taxes. And, and this is a transient homeless housing project. I have city CDBG grant money. I have housing trust fund uh, money. And, um, and then I get something like this. Now, when, when this occurred in February, COVID wasn't occurring. Uh, there was some, some faint understanding that something's going on. But this work was done in February. It was billed in March by the vendor to the city. Then COVID came in and I got the bill from the city in June. And, and um, I just kind of look at that and I go, my goodness, um, um, I'm expected to pay a bill that is just a, a total overbilling. And, and, you know, and I, I actually think it's kind of, of, of a, 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 I'm not sure I know the word for it, but I think it's overdone to have to be in front of city council to appeal something like this. Um, I ought to be able to do it with Ms. Ogden and, and come to a settlement in a, and a compromise. Um, so I'm, I'm just looking forward to uh, some kind of a reasonable um, uh, settlement of, of this that it's fair uh, because the, 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 the labor and the materials build certainly is fair and it seems kind of odd and, and um, overdone to send a $100 bill to send a bill. Uh, and that, um, and 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 to add on to this, now I end up having to pay the bill when the CDC puts out that I can't evict tenants when they don't pay rent. So now I have transient homeless people that run out of their Johnson County assistance, they run out of their shelter house rapid rehousing, and they just decide, well, I don't have to pay rent anymore because he can't kick me in out. And so now I have to sit and wait till December 31st to see if the CDC renews this to see if I can start collecting any rent. And, and what's really disturbing is I have tenants in the building that pay their rent every month. And then I have the people that work the system. And I got a couple of them now working the system. They're just living there free. And I can't do a thing about it. Thank so you, Bill. That's my appeal. I hope that's helpful. 
Thank you, Bill. Um, Chrissy. Chrissy, you can join. Good evening, Mayor. Can you hear me? Yes, good evening. Uh, thank you. I'd, I'd just like to uh, recommend that uh, Mr. Wittig, um, who's well aware of our services, also avail himself and his tenants of homeless prevention and eviction prevention funds that are available both at the state level and at the local level, funded through both the city's community development block grant funds and through uh, emergency services grant funds. Uh, there are substantial resources for tenants who find themselves unable to meet their rent obligations, and this should not be a burden for our property uh, owners and landlords. Um, we would be happy to uh, provide that information and would encourage him to reach out to the network of service providers. Thank you. Thank you. Would anyone else like to address council? And Bill, I'm sorry, we only allow once to address council. But that was Chrissy Camp uh, Campanelli from the Shelter House, if you would like to reach out to her. And Chrissy Canganelli, sorry about that. All right, anyone else like to address council? Seeing no one. All right, council discussion. I guess I have a question, uh, Stan. <clears throat> Have you evaluated the uh, the charges with regard to this snow removal and determined that you found them reasonable or or not? We found them reasonable. It, there's the actual work that has to be done and there's the mobilization cost of getting someone there. And we've also in the past two years went through purchasing. So this is bid out. It's not a situation where we're cherry picking a contractor. Uh, there was a bidding process. We've received multiple bids. And this was the contractor that had the most favorable bid for the city. For the, I just wanted to make sure that I understood the pictures correctly. So the two, th um, there's six pictures here. Are these all on the same day that this, um, that the removal happened? They are not. Um, there should be pictures that are labeled contract removal and they should have um, larger date stamps on them. Uh, one shows the pre-picture. Um, February 6, 2020 at 10 a.m. Um, and then there's a process photo in there where it shows at 10.36 that it has material on the ice that is uh, causing it to melt. I, unfortunately, I don't think I have the post picture in here. Yeah, and I, I think that's where, because I think what I see is um, there's, when they came to remove it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sidewalk shown. Is there that is. That, that's correct. Um, but take a look at the picture on February 5th. This was taken by us uh, to document that we needed to still send them out there. But this was the same day that we received another complaint from a citizen who was going through there and felt it was an issue. So our, our standard is full width and down to concrete. Um, and that's what we hold people to. 
So Stan, in those pictures, you're you're referring to kind of the edges of the sidewalk that have some remnants of snow and ice on them. And that's what this company moved and charged that phenomenal amount for? Yes. And not just, the, I mean, if you look at some of the first pictures closer to the street, uh, uh, there's a larger portion that's covered. Um, Yes, and it's and it's ice at this time, so it, it's not as simple as just going out there and and removing it in 15 minutes. That that material's been on there. That ice has been on there for quite a while. It takes a little bit of effort and product to get that to move. Yeah. So yeah, and I, so I do see the two five uh, picture, and I guess it was the two three pictures that. I just wasn't clear if on two three um, it was still to this degree or or had there been change because of you know. on two three it was completely covered in our estimation. If you look at the pictures on two three, it was completely yes. covered. And we had maybe some was removed, maybe some of it had melted. If you look at the snow melt on the on the graph, I would say it was melting. Um, but there's still snow and ice on the sidewalk on February 5th when we called the contractor, which is a week, over a week after the snow event. Okay. Yeah. It, it, I, I think the, the picture from um, February 5th is particularly compelling to me. It's, it's hard when you have a case where, you know, there, there was some change after the first notification, at least the um, property owner tried to get somebody out there. But I think the standards that, that we have are pretty clear. And certainly we do a good job of communicating those that it needs to be cleared. And I think the, the picture from the fifth with the um, wheelchair tracks in the ice is, is notable. Um, this owner understood that there were individuals who would be needing to pass by the house and um, made some attempt to clear it. But as, as uh, Stan indicated, if that was more than a week after the snow, that's well beyond what we would typically allow. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's always a, a challenge when you're, you know, listening to this. I think there's a few things in it, you know, like the, the pricing and that type of stuff. But um, I, I am going to um, not, you know, approve anything different. Um, I think that it's pretty important, especially when we see the, you know, the wheelchair track, track and that, that really is evident that people are utilizing this. It's very important for people to remove the snow as the city requirement is uh, laid out for people. There was, um, you know, certainly that opportunity for the snow to be removed even before they actually got there. Um, so I'm going to uphold this decision um, or, or this, this fine at this time. Hearing no other comments, roll call, please. Weiner? Yes. Fergus? Yes. Sims? Yes. Talie? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. 
Thomas. Yes. Motion passes seven to zero. Item number 14, we are at 14A, Public Art Advisory Committee. Public Art Advisory Committee has one vacancy to fill an unexpired term upon appointment through June 30th, 2023. And council discussion, and we only have one appointment tonight. And so we can navigate through this. And just to clarify that, that appointment is for an at-large seat and not, because I know there were three of the applicants that actually uh, stated uh, for the art or design professional seat. So uh, does, that makes a difference, I assume. Pauline, I don't think it does and staff can correct me if I'm wrong, but my recollection from previous discussions of this was the professional designation was added to this commission to make sure we had at least one, and I don't remember if it's one or two, um, people with professional art background, experience, skill set, whatever, on the commission. So the idea is that we have that minimum number of professionals. I don't think there is a problem with having more than that. And if, if I'm wrong, staff, please correct me. That, that's correct. And right now it looks like from the the demographic that there's already four art or design professionals. So in other words, Pauline, we could pick another prof art professional on here. Well, I would, I would recommend we appoint Sandy Steele um who has a landscaping and design background which i thought was a could be was maybe different than some of the other fine arts backgrounds that we have represented and thought that was intriguing um i know sandy from having talked to her about her interest in the south district form-based code and she thinks holistically about the community so i'd recommend her that's fine. I will agree. I, I, I thought there were a lot of good applicants, um, none that I know personally. So, you know, if others know people personally and advocate, I'm, I'm happy to listen, but Laura got hers out first. So I guess I, <laughs> I'm happy to support that one. Yeah, I, I was also um, uh, felt Sandy had a, some interesting qualifications going into this particular appointment with both a, a BFA background and some practical experience uh, with, um, as Laura mentioned, working with landscape architectural and civic civil design. So it, it seemed like, uh, you know, it's always useful to have those kinds of, that sensibility and experience to bring to the any commission that one works on if it's relevant. Yeah, I can support Sandy. I, I have to tell you that um, there were lots of people uh, that had some great opportunities and um, it struck me that hers wasn't from like uh, art, total art design, but um, the interest was there. And so I can certainly support it, support her. So unless someone else has another recommendation, it sounds like we have a majority of council uh, supporting Sandy Steele. 
right. So if that is the case, then um, could I get a motion to appoint Sandy Steele to the Public Art Advisory Committee? So moved. Moved by Celie, seconded by Thomas. Roll call, please. Fergus? Yes. Mims? Yes. Celie? Yes. Taylor? Yes. T? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Weiner? Yes. Motion passed to seven to zero. Item 15, announcement of vacancies previous, ad hoc truth and reconciliation commission, nine vacancies term effective upon appointment through June 30th, 2022. Appointment zoning board of, of adjustments, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Board of adjustment, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Board of appeals, one vacancy to fill a five-year term. Climate Action Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Human Rights Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Parks and Recreation Commission, two vacancies to fill a four-year term. Public Art Advisory Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Senior Center Commission, two vacancies to fill a three-year term. Applications will must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, November 10th. Historic Preservation Commission, East College Street, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, Northside, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Historic Preservation Commission, Woodlawn, one vacancy to fill an unexpired term. Telecommunications Commission, one vacancy to fill a three-year term. Vacancies will remain open until filled. And we are at item number 16, community comment, UISG. I think Ryan is with us. Good evening, Council. Um, just not really any updates tonight as still everything is virtual and so there's not too much happening on campus. Uh, everything's online. But um, just wanted to say again, um, students, please go out and vote tomorrow if you have not. Um, the residence hall polling locations for the West Side Residence Halls um, is at Carver Hawkeye Arena, and there will be a shuttle outside of Reno Residence Hall every 15 minutes to take you there. The East Side Residence Halls are their polling places at the Campus Recreation Wellness Center, and for Mayflower, theirs is at Parkview Church. Um, if you're living off campus, you can check out uh, where your polling place is on the Secretary of State's website. Um, and I encourage you to go out and um, use your voice. So other than that, that's all for me tonight, Council. Thank you. Thank you. Item number 17, any City Council updates? I know that we did most of them at our work session. Any final updates? Or I know, Mayor Pro Tem, we missed you at work session. So. I want to give you an opportunity. I don't have anything, but you know, tomorrow is the election. So everybody have to go and vote. If you don't until now, please, please go and vote. It is very important. That's all I have. Great. I know that we and all also, second that. <laughs> uh, also, I'm going to going to Sudan, but I'm going to still uh, doing this uh, from there. Hopefully the internet connection will be great. So. I will join you from far. Great. Have a safe trip and enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Safe travels. Be safe. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. 18. All right. So city manager, any updates from you? 
Nothing tonight, Mayor. Our assistant city manager. Nothing this evening, thank you. Great, city attorney. For me, thanks. All right, and so our city clerk, we're actually, um, it's Kelly, but Ashley was filling in for her um, while they were working together. So Ashley, do you have any updates? <laughs> no, we don't have any updates in the clerk's office. All right, thank you. Can I get a motion to adjourn? So moved, Mims. Second, Taylor. All in favor say aye. 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 Thank you. Aye. We're, we're adjourned. Good night <laughs> and safe travels, everybody. Bye, good night. night. Go vote. Bye. Yes, vote. Go vote.